Hello and welcome to Abolish Arkham! If we can't imagine our world without police and prisons, what about fictional ones? We are your hosts, Yuki Nishida and Dakota Kennedy, and you're listening to WBCA 102.9 FM Boston. So last week we talked about Batman's origins, specifically his start in detective comics and his tendency towards violence. Um, Today we're going to continue this conversation by diving into some of the nuances in Batman's character and who he is, particularly when it comes to his one rule. (laughs) Now, Dakota, what is Batman's one rule? Yeah, so something that we talked about a lot last week was about Batman's, you know, propensity for violence and his ability to kill. And so I think it's important that we spend a little bit of time talking about his one rule, um, which is ironically that Batman doesn't kill. He does not kill. He does not kill. Asterisk. Except for the times that he does. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime post-1940. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I it's interesting because over all of the different transformations of Batman and, you know, when we talk about Batman, we're talking about the comics, the movies, all of the movies, all of the different comics. So there's a lot to really dive into. Um, and so as we talked about last week, I mean, the very first time that we see Batman, the character, is in Detective Comics where, Yuki, you were saying, like, he throws the villain into a vat of acid, right? Yeah. <laughs> And says, quote, a fitting end for someone of his kind. Right. And so, and even in the original Batman comic, when he gets his own solo title, um, we see him murdering multiple villains with reckless abandon. And there really isn't a shift in Batman's lethality until, I think you were saying, the 1940s? Mm -hmm. In the 1940s. And this comes directly from Batman number one where he kills um, a villain by the name of Strange with a gun. And um, he says, I don't like doing this often, but in this case, this is justified. Uh, That is paraphrase, not the exact quotes. But that sort of sparked um, a moral panic (laughs) Um, where there was a need for change in the Batman narrative because they were kids that were reading this. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, because Superman was incredibly popular and Batman came out after Superman. Mm -hmm. Um, And so prior to superhero comics, what was really popular were these pulp detective comics, which is even where like DC detective comics Mm -hmm. comes from and a lot of Batman's own character development comes from. Um, And so by the time that you have young kids finally getting into comics because superheroes are cool. Yeah. Um, I think that's when this moral panic happened um, because people were starting to get worried. And we talked a little bit about Mm -hmm. this last week that kids would read violent comics and therefore would become violent themselves, which we now know isn't how (laughs) violence works. (laughs) We see the same moral panic with video games and that doesn't work like that. Yeah, and so I think that it's interesting that I think even with the launch of the comics code and this fear that kids were going to be exposed to hyperviolent material, that the Batman comics and really his character had to take a 
like kind of a hard left turn. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And one of the ways that they did that was a reducing um, Batman's lethality and giving him his one rule that he doesn't kill. Mm-hmm. And then introducing his sidekick, Robin, who is a little kid. A little, just a little boy. <laughs> his little boy sidekick, which did become a hit later on. And just sort of um, Batman would serve as sort of this role model for young Robin. And so that we can see the shift in like Batman becoming less um, becoming less lethal. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, you know, Robin is a character who was designed to really speak to kids. Like I think that he, he was supposed to be relatable to them and mm-hmm. to kind of capture – um, this youth, <laughs> yeah. youthful experience and this youth voice mm-hmm. um, to give kids something to see themselves in, which mm-hmm. at the time was, you know, more likely to be Robin than, than Batman. Batman. And I think we would see, and for Robin, Batman is sort of this mentor, almost stand-in father figure for him. And so when we, and so by past the 1940s, that's when we sort of see where Batman is stopped, this sort of Batman's one rule gets implemented and he stops killing people, <laughs> despite the fact that he is almost ruled by vengeance. Absolutely, yeah. And so something that I hope to get into more in a future episode is Batman is essentially a victim of harm. I mean, when we think about Batman's origin story, his story starts when his two parents are gunned down in front of him outside of a movie theater. Mm -hmm. And that witnessing that violence is what motivates him to take this vow um, to never um, like vow against crime and to go after crime fighters because he doesn't want anyone else to ever be in the same position that he's in, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting to think about when you think about the violence that, Batman employs. Um, I think that we do have this idea that superheroes only ever hurt bad guys. Um, and that kind of gets messy really quickly. Yeah, it really does. And what does that sound like, Dakota? It's sounding a lot like vigilantism. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we talked a lot about this last week too, but Batman is a really unique case because he is a vigilante. And so the line between vigilantes and superheroes ultimately is about punishment and kind of who carries out the punishment. So vigilantes usually carry out the punishment themselves, whereas superheroes tend to capture villains and then hand them over to the authorities. And it was interesting preparing for this episode, honestly, because I was reading a couple of different takes about whether or not Batman is for the people in his vigilanteism um, or if he is kind of more self-interested or perhaps upholding traditional systems of punishment and really reinforcing the status quo that we see today where cops are crime fighters and they're, you know, the the criminal justice mm-hmm. system. Um you know? Yeah, and I think that's really interesting, Dakota. And I think that the most recent Batman movie, Batman 2022, has this great case study on Batman as a vigilante and whether vigilantism works for our system. <laughs> and so for our viewers, uh, this will be 
immense spoiler alert um, for the Batman 2022. And so one of the biggest plot points of the most recent Batman is that the Gotham government is written by corruption. (laughs) Mm, Corrupt government. (laughs) You don't say. (laughs) Police officers are corrupt. Attorneys are corrupt. The politicians are corrupt. And, like, these corrupt politicians can be found in this one bar in the movie, which sort of signifies their ties towards corruption and the corruption written in Gotham. Uh, throughout the movie. And so you begin to question um, this sort of like, this sort of, I guess, justifies Batman's vigilanteism uh, in the movie as sort of, as this sort of corruption is exposed throughout the movie, Batman, Batman's actions become more and more justified because of how corrupt the government is. Right. Absolutely. Because, I mean, if you have a government and you if you have systems of power that aren't working, then, you know, rather than stand by and let chaos happen, it becomes, like you're saying, more justifiable to then take the law into your own hands and need to fight back because the system is broken. And so you have to go outside of it. So, I mean, it sounds to me like the movie really set up vigilanteism and vigilante violence and justice as the solution to a better Gotham? Almost. You see, there's this also this one point in the movie where they apprehend the big mobster, uh, Falcone, uh, who's sort of like the, the, like sort of the one leading this corruption. And he is arrested by the Gotham police in hand with Batman. And so if he's, sh- and he's sort of shocked by this fact. Which he, Batman? Um, Falcone, Falcon. the mobster. And he's like shocked by the fact that despite um, that the, that he knew that he had the police under his ring, uh, there are these good apples that are arresting him. And it's sort of, you get, you get a little, it, it gets very muddied at this point, sort of the, like, the corruption and sort of this, like, idea or this vigilanteism working in hand with police officers with these uh, with these good apples. Yeah, because my understanding is that Batman and Commissioner Gordon work really closely together in this movie. They do. And so, I mean... Commissioner Gordon has Batman at his beck and call. He has the bat signal. The bat signal's there. Very iconic scene. (laughs) Love the bat signal. And Batman and um, Commissioner Gordon work very closely to apprehend these individuals and towards the end uh, apprehend Falcone and the Riddler. And so a lot of the political messaging within the Batman gets very confusing or gets lost in this, like, one specific scene where the police are sort of hailed as, or these, this set of police are hailed as, like, the good apples. Got it. And so going back to, like, kind of the question that we started with, I mean, does Batman kill in this new version? He does not. And one thing that I thought was interesting um, when reading about the film, um, Robert Panson uh, said in an interview Um, quote, there's this rule with Batman. 
he must not kill. It can be interpreted in two ways. Either he only wants to inflict the appropriate punishment, or he wants to kill and his self-control prevents him from doing so. Hmm. Do you, what's your sense, like, in the movie? Did you, do you feel like it was more one than the other, or was there enough there to have an opinion? I think more so on the former rather than the latter. I mean, it, we delve into sort of this dangerous territory when we think about Batman as this murder machine, especially when we have this man of immense wealth withholding himself from going on a tirade. So I want to say that Robert Pattinson's depiction was more so um, he only wants to afflict the appropriate punishment. But what that appropriate punishment looks like uh, is heavily tied to working with law enforcement. Mm. So it seems like Robert Pattinson's Batman maybe fits a little cleaner into the superhero definition than the vigilante definition Mm -hmm. that we're exploring, Um, especially if Batman helps apprehend the criminal and then turns the criminal over to the criminal legal system to face Mm -hmm. prosecution and imprisonment and all of these Mm -hmm. traditional forms of punishment. I mean, the Riddler is put in jail and Mm -hmm. that is a (laughs) and there's the iconic scene of Paul Dano going, no, 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 no. (laughs) Uh, But I mean, towards the end of the movie, we see the Riddler is in jail and Batman locks him up. And that's sort of the punishment that the Riddler receives at the end. And does it feel like the whole movie like really builds to that point like of in- of incarceration? Like is incarceration the solution or the end? Like, I mean, what it was sure that like? is it sure as hell does not. I mean, like at the end of the movie, he doesn't do anything. The Batman, like, it just thinks about his actions. He he just he ends up thinking about how he his motivations um, of apprehending corrupt individuals or these crime these criminal figures is so much similar to what the Riddler is doing, where he's exposing these corrupt politicians and these like criminals, and the corruption in Gotham isn't addressed at the end. Corruption is still running amok. We're we're still left at a point where just like okay then what now? Like, Mm -hmm. there was no solution to what the Riddler wanted to solve or, like, was, like, trying to achieve um, in, like, towards the end of the movie. Yeah, and I mean, I think that that kind of reminds me of the point that we were making earlier in terms of vigilante justice in general and is vigilante justice ever appropriate? And I think... As we've seen in the last several years with the rise of vigilante, I hate even calling it vigilante justice. I think that that's a misnomer. I think I'm going to call it vigilante violence, um, like the vigilante violence that we saw with Ahmaud Arbery and that we we are now seeing um, after Roe v. Wade's reversal and just kind of this idea of having private citizens take the law into their own hands, which, you know, Bruce Wayne and Batman and all superheroes are private citizens for the most part. Um, And just, you know, kind of telling these narratives where vigilante justice seems right, um, I think is really worrisome. Um, Because, I mean, I understand I have a thousand criticisms of the government. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I get it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I wish the government worked better. I wish that it, I wish that there were things that felt more centered in people and felt more solutions oriented than Mm -hmm. just art. And so 
while I can appreciate, you know, not sitting down and not taking no and like actually standing up for something. Um, one of the things that, again, was really interesting to me while I was preparing for this episode was this article that I was reading um, called Batman and the Problem with Vigilante Justice, a Love Story from the Artifice. And one of the things that they get into is that this article seems to really think that Batman, you know, is a counter argument to the ability of the government to safeguard its citizens and that Batman solves these community issues um, and that Batman is actually at odds with the police because Batman, if he can't be controlled by the police, which some iterations of Batman, he, Mm -hmm. you know, goes rogue. Um, And this iteration is in referral to which specific Batman? This one, um, so this article is specifically talking about the Dark Knight, um, so different than the new one that you're talking about. But basically... It just talks about how Batman teaches us to rebel against broken systems. Um, And specifically, it makes comments like, nothing stifles the oppression of a stagnant government like an angry populace bent on having their lives returned and restored to some true semblance of freedom. I mean, it's just a really interesting take. I I think I disagree. I'm pretty confident that I disagree. Mm -hmm. Um, But... The more and more that we see these vigilante narratives in a positive light, I think it's I think it's dangerous. I think it's dangerous because I think what I mean, we always need to remember that Batman is a well like if he represents um, uprising against a stagnant, a stagnant government. What does that look like? This is coming from a wealthy man, a man with a lot of power inherently through his wealth. And so if we like getting into a getting to a point where these men with immense amounts of wealth determining what justice justice looks like through vigilantism through vigilante punishment even is dangerous absolutely well and kind of going into what you were saying about bruce wayne's wealth i mean we have the wayne foundation and its many iterations Mm -hmm. which is a philanthropic um organization which you know so i mean bruce wayne does donate to a lot of different social services but it is interesting and maybe it just is because again like you know we're talking about fictional places and Mm -hmm. there are there does need to be some conflict right that's like we can't like poverty, I guess, in the Batman universe can't go away because because then we wouldn't have the conflict that mm-hmm. we have in the plots. But it's it's this interesting thing where you have like you have Batman and you have the police and you have Bruce Wayne mm-hmm. trying to solve societal problems with his money. So mm-hmm. again, kind of going back to this idea of private actors, which is really interesting. So that kind of when the government fails, private actors swoop in. But what's interesting about that is that, again, as we've talked about, nothing ever really seems to get better (laughs) in Gotham, regardless of how much money Bruce Wayne spends Mm -hmm. trying to, um, I think, orphanages is like one of his big philanthropic efforts. Um, But, you know, just for example, it's like, I don't know that, like, we see crime go down. (laughs) And and again, that could just be because, like, I'm well aware this is fictional. Um, But I do think that that's an interesting kind of comment is, like, Bruce Wayne sometimes does donate and, you know, we don't see those effects. So is it trying to say that, like, those things don't work or I think that can be really tangled. Yeah, I know. It's just, and also, like, the Riddler and the Batman both come from orphanages. 
except the pro- except the difference is that Bruce Wayne ended up in a penthouse, and the Riddler ended up like being in a a poorly funded orphanage mm-hmm. that was due to the corrupt the the corruption of Gotham. Yeah. And I really think that these like stories like have an opportunity to, you know, imagine like what like a different like mode of like different mode of what justice looks like or a different idea of like what what we can do with outside of these like systems of policing outside of systems of vigilantism because they they sure don't work. Absolutely. Well, and something that I think is interesting is that after Batman's lethality was taken away from him in the 1940s, that the two creators, um, Kane and Finger, I know funny, like last name is Finger and last name Kane, um, (laughs) really are split. In terms of whether or not Batman's ability to kill is central to his personality. And I guess, and we can talk a little bit about that with the few minutes that we have left. But I guess I wonder, like, you know, can can a superhero ever kill for the right reason? And is killing ever okay? And I think that this opens up a much bigger conversation about the death penalty mm-hmm. <laughs> and other things that we see um, in the real world when mm-hmm. it comes to death as punishment. Yeah. I mean, even like, like even like bringing into the, even 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 bringing in vigilantism and like superheroes acting as sort of this executioner role, as this outside power playing as an executioner is also very very dangerous to think about. <laughs> Absolutely, and so you know, I want to spend a little more time talking about the difference between um Kane and Finger in terms of their differing opinions on whether or not Batman should kill. So, for example, Batman Kane, or Batman Kane, <laughs> Bob Kane, um, was really furious and wrote in his memoir that he really regretted taking lethal force away from Batman because he believed it divorced his character from his origin stories in these pulp detective comics. Whereas Bill Finger... wish he would have never allowed Batman to kill in the first place. And I have this really beautiful quote um, by this article by Alex Jaff that says, because of Batman's origin story, because Batman knows what it's like to lose his mother and father Mm -hmm. to extreme violence, particularly gun violence, which Mm -hmm. I know is part part of the controversy about Batman using a gun to begin with and mm-hmm. part of why the decision to divorce Batman from his wep- from his gun. Mm-hmm. Um, but this idea that Batman would never kill because in the tragedy that crafted Batman himself, Bruce determined that the worst thing anything, the worst thing anyone could do is to take a life. And I exactly. think that that's really powerful and exactly. beautiful. And as we move through our future episodes to really talk about this false narrative of revenge and punishment and justice and how often we tend to confuse those things as synonymous. Mm -hmm. This idea that if you've been a victim of violence, that it's not necessarily, you don't necessarily want to cause violence to other people because then the cycle continues. You don't want to repeat that. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, 
well, I mean, we can go on and on and on about Batman. Um, and we we might, there might be, next week might also be about Batman. <laughs> um, but anyway, you've been listening to Abolish Arkham on WBCA 102.9 FM Boston. You've been joined by Dakota Kennedy and Yuki Nishida. As your hosts, thank you so much for tuning in. And we are going to go out with a song called Rude Boys by Dutch Rebel. Hold on. <laughs> I know you don't mean to be mean. I know you don't mean to be rude. Just know that I'm down for the team. Still loving your world at a two. See, life ain't always what it seems. So we do what we all gotta do. Mad love for my rude boys. Uh, mad love for my rude boys. I know you don't mean to be mean. I know you don't mean to be rude. Just know that I'm down for the team. Still loving your world at a two. See, life ain't always what it seems. So we do what we all gotta do. Mad love for my rude boys. Uh, mad love for my rude boys. You was a warrior once I can tell. I know the type, see they call me rebel. Heavenly flow sent my demons to hell. Wickedest thoughts in a beautiful shell. So I know all about pushing your limits. Always a fight, don't know how you got in it. Feel like the world could just fall any minute. And you keep on spinning, them shots keep you swimming. I know I can get you where you trying to go. Know that that work got you stressing. Those who don't know you talk about count your blessings. But not counting money is out of the question. I know that you've been through a lot. You rough around the edges and baby that's smooth. Couldn't imagine a mile on your shoes. Mute on my views, it's all about you. I'ma just sit here and pour up this drink. Spill what you think if you please. Sit back and take in these trees. Cocked in this hard not to squeeze. All of these haters around me. All of that stress around you. Know a little bit about that too. But see, here's what we gon' do. We gon' continue to ride even if we collide and we screaming outside. Cause I know you don't mean to be mean. I know you don't mean to be rude. Just know that I'm down for the team. Still loving your wild attitude. Always what it seems, so we do what we all gotta do. Mad love for my rude boys, uh, mad love for my rude boys. I know you don't mean to be mean, I know you don't mean to be rude. Just know that I'm down for the team, so loving your world at a two. See, life ain't always what it seems, so we do what we all gotta do. Mad love for my rude boys, uh, mad love for my rude boys. Gotta get you a rough neck. Holland girl, so I call you a rude boy. From the hood, so you ride for your respect. Moving cues, so you move like a schoolboy. Lot of fights growing up, so you flip out. Wanna dip out every time that it gets too thick. Moving the streets, cruise to a beat. Need your relief. I just hope that you come back quick. Only scared of who I'm fixing to be. Spitting these writings like sunflower seeds. All of your kittens are smitten to me. Got me your tea eating delicacies. They storytelling, they barely can read. My lady savages, y'all ain't my breed. So please believe. Got love for my rude boy. Yeah, cause he riding for me. World on your back and your heart on your sleeve. Plus now they killing us. Plus now they killing us. No, they ain't feeling us. No, they ain't feeling us. Way too much real in us. Way too much real in us. Don't bite your tongue cause them scars last forever. Misunderstood cause you down for whatever. Shout out my hood and to all of my rude boys. Yeah, cause we riding together. I know you don't mean to be mean. I know you don't mean to be rude. Just know that I'm down for the team.